and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we talk about them. I am the fiancé. And I'm Drew. We're back with a live theatre episode this week. Yes, indeed. Which is tres exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm not quite sure how this one works, because it's a musical of a film, but the film wasn't a musical. Yes. <laughs> okay, because I wasn't sure if the film itself was a musical. Because mm-hmm. I know it's got a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah. But I didn't know if that soundtrack was famous for being, like, soundtrack music, or if it was the songs in the show or in the film uh some of the songs that are in this stage version are from the film obviously we know the titular song footloose yes but there are a couple of other songs that show up in the film there are some songs that show up in the show that then get put into the remake film which is pretty funny um but yeah, it's not originally a musical. It's a dance movie. Yes, because we are cutting loose this week. Yes, indeed. We are watching Footloose, the musical stage adaptation. Yes, indeed. Live from the New Victoria Theatre in Woking, yeah. as per usual. Yes, indeed. Well, the UK we... touring cast. Yes, it is. Now, I know very little about Footloose. Mm-hmm. I know that... It was the film that brought us Kevin Bacon. Sure. I'm pretty certain it was his like first big film, if not his first film. Yeah. And obviously, we all know Kevin Bacon from... E.E. <laughs> from the adverts, yes. Uh, but also, I was going to say what I know him more famously for is the whole Six Degrees of Separation. Because Kevin Bacon has such like an extensive CV that... Oh, everybody in the world knows Kevin Bacon. Well, essentially, that you can. The idea is you can get from one actor to another actor within six degrees. Yeah. Based on like films they've starred in with Kevin Bacon. Sure. Because like there are some actors that you only ever see them in the same sort of movie. Mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon is very eclectic. Well, I think the last thing, the last movie I saw him in was x-men first class yep because which he's very good in he is but it took me a really long time to realize that that was him because like you say he does a lot of really random stuff and so he showed up in x-men and i was like is that kevin bacon yeah friday the 13th in 1980 Mm -hmm. hollow man which i really like yep apollo 13 jfk Mm -hmm. footloose obviously which you know what we're talking about Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the first thing I remember seeing him from, not that it was in the film version, but, you know, apropos of nothing, they used to have these adverts. I don't know if they extended into the US, but they were adverts of the cinema that showed the different Kevin Bacons interacting at, like, the cinema going to one. So you had, like, Hollow Man Kevin Bacon, oh, Friday the that. 13th Kevin Bacon, yeah, so Apollo 13. And it was... Footloose is not his first film. Because Friday the 13th came out before Footloose. His first film was Search for Tomorrow, the TV... Well, that was the TV series. Uh, National Lampoon, he was in. Yeah. Starting over, then The Gift, which is a TV movie, Hero at Large, and then Friday the 13th, which was his, like, bounce-off. Yeah, so Footloose, 
is quite a way into it. Yeah. But, Not too far. Friday the 13th is 1980. Footloose is 1984. Yeah. I, I know very little about Footloose, but I, I know that Kevin Bacon brings dance to a religious town that has banned dance. Mm-hmm. And at one point he has an angry dance inside a steel mine. And as per the norm for this show, where I understand musicals, we establish, it's because I've seen something in Family Guy. And yeah. I'm pretty certain I've seen... Uh, Peter dancing in angry dance fashion to Footloose. Yeah. So, would you like to hazard a guess at any more plot than that? Like, where do you think this is set? Uh, Bible Belt, America, I would reckon. Mm-hmm. So, um, like Missouri, mm-hmm. some somewhere like that. Was well, the Southwest? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's Texas. I actually don't know if this place is real. <laughs> Where it's set. Where is it set? Beaumont. Oh, I'm pretty certain Beaumont's a real place. I've heard of Beaumont. Oh, Georgia. Yeah. Okay, so Georgia. Where is the town of Beaumont? It is the fictional town. A fictional town, so it's not real, but it's in Utah. Okay. So Utah. So are they Mormons? Yeah. Or are they... Uh, no. No, no. They're good Catholics. Okay. Because I just know, obviously, Salt Lake City is an important place. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's going to be successful. I think he's going to bring dance to, to Beaumont. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like this is going to be quite similar, in a sense, to Dirty Dancing. In the sense of, like, stuffy parents who don't understand modern ways. And it's the children who just want to cut loose. Mm. And like Kevin Bacon's gonna be like nobody puts bacon in the corner. Although I can kind of get more on the side of the parents in Dirty Dancing. Well, because I feel like if my sixteen-year-old daughter started dating a thirty-year-old, I probably wouldn't be too pleased about it. And getting involved in like the seedy underground life of this weird resort. Some oh, yeah. thing that they're all at is probably not a great idea for a young teenager, but you know. So you feel like it's the, this one is less accessible for the parents. You feel like I won't be able to kind of get on the side of the parents who I are just think... being like fussy. Um, I think there is a lot of parental fuss in this one and a lot of the old folk running the town. And when I say old, I mean adults. <laughs> I don't mean old people. I mean like... But they're not doing it. So so what you're saying in Dirty Dancing is you can kind of understand where the parents are coming from because of the nature of the relationships and how much older Patrick Swayze is than Baby mm-hmm. and kind of the, the, the hijinks that they're getting up to. You can understand why the parents would be so opposed to it. But in Footloose you feel like there's no justifying the parents' perspective of this. I think you can justify their perspective, for sure, because you're willing to argue with me about anything. <laughs> and you, you normally we have very differing views on the way that parents are presented in these kind of things. But I think in this one, it's a little less reasonable. Okay. Just I... because of what it is specifically that they are going to be arguing about okay well i mean this is the thing obviously this one i know has like the religious 
aspect to the the ban Mm -hmm. like this is a deeply religious town who are probably looking at it as you know dancing as a gateway to the devil pretty much therefore that possibly is more difficult to be in favor of Mm. so maybe i won't have an argument with you this time round. maybe so dean pitchford who wrote fame the song yeah uh, came up with the idea for Footloose in 1979 and teamed up with a production company who then set him up with 20th Century Fox in 1981. Dean Pitchford then wrote his first screenplay and most of the lyrics for the songs in this show. And then Fox put it into a turnaround and Paramount Pictures bought the rights to the cool. film. The film comes out, it's a huge deal, people love it. At the time. They thought they might have Tom Cruise play the lead <laughs> when they were originally going for it. They filmed in Utah and there are a lot of things that then got changed when they were going to adapt this into a stage show. So the adaptation was written by Walter Bobby and Dean Pitchford. So he took what Dean Pitchford had already written and then uh, trimmed it down a bit, added some stuff in change some of the things like very famously in the film which i know you also haven't seen yes there is a game of chicken between two rivals where they're on tractors and they like drive their tractors at each other and it's like oh who's gonna swerve first who's the biggest man here so greece yeah pretty much no, no, but they're genuine. They're like driving towards each other rather than. Oh yeah, but like it, like Greece type characters. Mm-hmm. Okay. And th- oh, that is not in the stage show. Thankfully, I would not want to see how somebody would um, try to adapt that. So the the whole thing of like the the car stuff really isn't in the Greece show. Yeah, which really did throw me when I went to like school production. And I was like, this is not the Greece I know. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's in my favour then that I actually haven't seen the film? Oh yeah, for sure. Because it means you're not going to be thinking, oh, that wasn't in this. I think it will cause issues when we get to certain characters. Okay. Because you're going to be like, this person is very two-dimensional. They're sort of just here. Yeah. Because that has happened. But they get a lot more in the film. We're not going to watch the film before we go and see the show. We might watch it afterwards. Yeah. But... And we probably won't cover it here then because it's not a musical. No. But there's a lot more of those characters in the film that they then just got rid of because when you are making a stage show, it's a lot easier to keep the perspective on your sort of heroes. Yeah. Whereas I think if you cut away in stage shows too much to side characters it sort of loses the momentum of the rest of the show. Whereas we can find out stuff about side characters from the hero's perspective, you know? Yes. It's not often we get much in theatre from side character perspective. I can't actually think of any off the top of my head. Can you? Um, I mean, I go back to Book of Mormon where it shifts perspective halfway through. But those two are written to be the main characters. Yeah. So that, that's what I mean is like... What's the guy who sings Turn It Off? Yeah. That character. We don't get scenes from his perspective. He's in scenes with the main characters. Yes. But imagine if we cut away and you're suddenly following him 
for a whole scene randomly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, you. I guess you get that with, like, villains, because we need to understand their objectives. Yeah, but then yeah. they're also in that sort of main five, you know? Yeah. For each, every stage show, there's five-ish main characters. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know? fair. So, so they trim down a lot of people. Well, I mean, considering there is 14 years in between the film being released and the musical. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time to maybe reflect on the formula as well. And maybe because you've got the same creative team, I guess, and the fact that Pitchford is part of this process. Yeah. It surely doesn't happen a lot where someone's work is adapted. Mm-hmm. Usually with these sort of things, you know, that the same creative team won't be involved. Yeah. And because of that, obviously he's possibly had that chance to maybe focus on what does he regret in Footloose or maybe what would he have changed if he could go back and do it again? This is a golden ticket for him. So maybe he's looked at scenes like that or characters like that and thought, well, actually... We spent too much time with these people. Yeah, to the detriment of it. And I want to focus in on this. Or, you know, maybe his perspective on things has changed and Mm -hmm. the world has changed. And he writes this with Walter Bobby now as a different person. Yeah, so the original show opened in 1998 on Broadway and yeah. it has, it opened on the 22nd of October and it ran for 709 performances, which, which is, is pretty okay. decent. Yeah. It's not too bad. Uh, directed by Walter Bobby, who had adapted the script, which I always think is in people's favour. He also directed like Chicago, which was really good. He directed a few different um, like memoriam concerts i don't know if that's the word i want you know where you go and see like uh fossey at the musicals or uh, like celebrations at 60 things like that yeah, so he it's directed not like in memoriam, a but like tribute shows or yes that's the word yeah. i wanted so he he likes big spectacle kind of performances and that can certainly be said of this because of the dance aspect of it all yes it received a mixed critical reception. The general consensus was that it was quite a poor plot because of how they'd narrowed it down. Yeah. But that the music and the how talented the cast were and the dancing made it all really, really good and very entertaining. That you want to support it because it's got a great cast, but there's creative issues. Yeah. That- so, I mean, certainly still something that we've seen this year and, mm-hmm. you know, a great cast being let down by maybe poor narrative or creative choices. Yeah. Uh, it was nominated for four Tony Awards at the 1999 Tonys. It did not win any of them. Uh, it wasn't nominated for Best Musical. Uh, it was nominated for Best Performance by a Leading Actress for... Not even one of the kid characters, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. Because the teenagers are a lead in this show. It was nominated for Best Book. It was nominated for Best Score. And then its last nomination was for Best Choreography, which people argued that it should have won, except for that the other show that was leading in that category was Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake, which obviously has to win best choreography yeah i was also up against like parade and little me which i don't actually know what that 
years. I've never heard of either of them. It was a weird year at 99 Tony Awards because you had like Fosse the Musical won Best Musical. Wow. Um, and then Ain't Nothing But The Blues Parade were also up there. And then the revivals were Annie Get Your Gun, Peter Pan and You're A Good Man, Charlie Brown, which took home quite a few uh, awards. But You're A Good Man, Charlie Brown had Kristen Chenoweth in it. And like it was a big year for just sort of interesting shows. Yeah. Historically, when we've talked about movie adaptation musicals, they do not do well at award ceremonies. No, because I guess they kind of look down on like lesser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More. And we're seeing that more and more recently that really all the big shows at the moment are adaptations of movies. Yeah. Or I mean, they're getting adapted into movies now, which inevitably means we will end up uh, Mean Girls style with a movie musical like Matilda as well. Wasn't a book, then a movie, then a musical, and now we're getting a musical movie. Or we get Wicked in two parts. I'm so... Oh, I cannot wait to see what they do with that. I think it's going to be great. It's very, very interesting, isn't it? You know, we've talked about a lot. I, of I just want to clarify adaptations. I don't mean I think it's going to be a good film. What? I mean I Wicked. think I'm going to have a good time watching it. I'm excited. Like I mean, I'm I'm excited to see how Wicked's handled, but mm. I do really wonder the purpose of splitting it into two parts. I just desperately hope that they use practical effects for a lot of stuff. I do not want to see a full CGI wicked movie where uh, Cynthia Erivo is CGI'd green. Just paint her green. You know? It, it'll be fine. Just paint her green. Yeah. Uh, Footloose. I know there's lots of iconic 80s songs. Mm -hmm. The only one I definitely know in it is obviously Titular Footloose by Kenny Loggins. Yes. And that's it. I can't think. I'm sure when we're watching this, I might turn to you and be like, oh, I know this song. I think you de there are songs in this where it's like, you definitely will know these songs. Yeah. And there, there'll definitely be like, and again, it will probably be because I've seen the parodies of them. Mm -hmm. I think, I guess I'm interested to see, knowing that this is a very basic plot, that it's teens versus religion, you know? Yeah. So there are six jukebox songs. Okay. And then the rest of the soundtrack is written for the stage show. Cool. I'm intrigued to see if uh, I ever actually get absorbed in the plot. Mm -hmm. I think that's my, my thing with this one is the plot feels quite generic. Yeah. Well, so when it came out, that's what people said. The plot feels generic, but we are seeing the adapted version. Because in 2005, they took that feedback and yes. they said, maybe we should change some stuff. Okay. So they did. Uh, they added a couple of new songs and removed a couple of songs. Uh, they changed where certain things were placed just to make it more streamlined. Cool. And so that you don't suddenly feel like you've cut away from the action, which I think is something that they do well for this show. Having seen both the previous version and the abridged version, or the edited version. Um, and they changed what characters sing what songs, which I think is a really, really interesting choice. 
Yeah. But we will talk about which songs it is when we get there. Yeah, I think I think this will be an interesting musical to watch. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to necessarily set the world on fire for me. Yep. But I'm I'm still excited nonetheless. I, I enjoy the song Footloose. And when I've been telling people we're going to see Footloose, people are like, oh, that's really exciting. I love the film. And seem quite surprised that I've never seen the film. Yeah, it seems like one of those films that musical people would have seen. Yeah, so... I think it's it can be attributed to it being one of those movies that theatre people were shown as kids that like got us into theatre without being a musical, you know? So, like... I had a lot of friends who saw Bring It On or Step Up and were like, oh, I'd love to do dance. And that's what got them into dancing. And I think Footloose probably did the same, but I think maybe more specifically for boys, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know what to expect from this one. Mm. Like, it'll probably be a good time. I know I'm going to have a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you've seen this one before, so you know you'll Mm. enjoy it twice. Mm -hmm. Do you think I will come out of this maybe a little bit more of a convert? To their anti-dance ways? No, just a convert (laughs) to Footloose. Yeah, I think you're going to like this one. Okay. But I say that every time. (laughs) You live in eternal hope. Well, it is time to head off to the theatre. Yes, indeed. And we're going to cut loose. It is 80s night. Yep. I'm dressed for the 90s in my Nirvana grunge-esque gear because I own no 80s clothes. So I'm a trendsetter is is my logic. Mm -hmm. But you are in 80s, 80s gear. Full 80s. I'm so ready. Which is your usual attire anyway. Yeah. It did not take me very long to put together an 80s outfit. No. So join us when we return... After intermission. And we are back. Yes, we have cut loose all over the place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, power of rock and roll compels you. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Uh, I I did enjoy this one. I think it was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Certainly not without some talking points. Yeah, but I enjoyed this one. I think we have a very good cast between some experienced uh, performers, but also some newer performers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed Lucy Munden as Ariel, yep. making a professional debut definitely think that she's one to watch yes indeed this was amazing and she was a fantastic performer yeah joshua hawkins as ren nice energy thought i i think you can see why people gravitated towards him he wasn't just you know a new kid Mm -hmm. and you know we had understudy for Willard we had Ben Mabberley as Willard and I'm really actually glad for it because I really enjoyed his performance yeah I thought he was fantastic as Willard 
Uh, I know that when we're about to go into the theatre, they had the signs up that said it. And we had the, you know, the, the annoying conversations, you know, within our age shot of, oh, I think they should tell us this person's not doing it so we can decide not to come. Uh, yeah, and that really bugs me because every time we've ever seen an understudy, yeah, whether it's at the New Victoria or in Central or anywhere, They've always been amazing. And yeah. there's a reason why they're cast in that role, you know? There's a reason why they're there to understudy that character. Understudies are incredibly they are, important. Yeah, they are good enough to perform as that role. Yeah. And it bugs me. I know that, you know, when I've directed shows, I always cast understudies. And obviously some people are far more willing to take on that role than others. Mm-hmm. But it is important. I'm, you know, for me, the understudy is you are good enough to play this. There was just one person above you. Yeah. However, I trust you that should something happen, I, I know that you would nail this role. And I think especially when you're in school and yeah. you're doing shows, because I was an understudy multiple times in school performances. Yeah, same. And there were also multiple times where... I ended up getting bumped up because the person who got the role proved that they weren't going to work hard or didn't show up to enough rehearsals or anything. Learn your understudy part. It's always handy. It is. Uh, Obviously, we're supposed to see Jake Quickenden, but he had to withdraw from the performance due to an injury. And I really hope that, you know, he's okay and he recovers quickly. Mm -hmm. But I think Ben Mabberley did a brilliant job. Again, I would not have known he was not the the first, you know, actor cast in this role. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's the sort of thing where I always kind of wonder if people would notice mm. or care if they didn't put that sign out. Well, I think with this one, the reason probably people have like got upset by it it's because jake quickenden is a singer it has been on reality tv shows in the uk one dancing on ice yeah so kind of has a little bit more pull that maybe there are people who are like oh i really liked him on the x factor i really liked him on i'll buy a ticket to go see this thing yeah i understand why they cast this so with this people would have noticed without the thing people would have noticed Mm -hmm. because who the actor in question is but i think you're right that sometimes you wouldn't know i didn't know personally yeah well especially because uh jake quickenden we assumed going in because I never remember any characters' names, right? Yeah. I've seen this stage show twice before. I've seen both of the films of this. I completely blanked out of my brain what any of these characters were called, except for Ariel. I remembered that yes. one, Disney brain. But Willard is not the main male character. And so I was looking at it thinking, Jay Quickenden playing Belize. I can't really picture that. Yeah. Like, oh, that would be really interesting casting. And then obviously Joshua Hawkins is playing Wren, the lead character. Yes. So Willard is Wren's kind of best friend. He's the comic relief character who needs to be taught how to dance kind of thing. 
and he's in integral to the story but i sort of forgot well, so who the, he was basically so so this was the thing is when we were told and we saw the signs jake quickened are not performing today i spent the entire show all of act one all of act two assuming josh hawkins was the cover mm-hmm. so i watched this fully under the impression that willard ben mabberley was always willard yeah and I thought it was really interesting. In fact, I didn't pick up on the fact he was an understudy. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, because he was amazing. He was inc- amazing. The whole cast was amazing. But we could go on about understudies for ages because it, they're always incredible. And they're unsung heroes. We mm-hmm. see it on Twitter all the time. People complaining that, you know, they want money back because they went to see this person performing a role and they're not happy that they didn't get it. Or Throw even- up performers yeah. telling people that they should go and ask for refunds because they're not going to be in the show tonight. Yeah. Which is insane. I can completely understand. And I, I I do think that maybe what they need to do when they do cast bigger names like that is maybe the point of sale need to make a bigger deal of if you want to see this person in this role, you need to book Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. For the 7.30pm shows. I think they should just put out a thing when you buy a ticket on the email that says, but you know, when you get your yeah. notification, that says, uh, it, we cannot guarantee that this person will be on. Yeah. Because also, if you look at things like shows, people get fired. Yeah. You know? People get ill. Well, that's its own thing. Like yeah. We should all be aware that performers are humans there to do their job. Yes. You know, even though they're entertaining us. People get sick. They're not always going to be there. But if that person is doing something dangerous behind the scenes or behaving inappropriately, yeah. they can get fired and replaced really easily. And just because you wanted to see them in that show doesn't mean that you're going to. Yeah. You know, they might yeah. not be there anymore. It needs to be a subject to change. Yeah. So, you know... I, I, it, it's not like you're going to see a concert you know yeah. it's not like you're going to see Harry Styles perform and they've put insert other man here you know on no. instead it, it's because that would they would I understand they would just cancel that but yeah. this is a stage show all of these actors including the understudies and the swings are here because they were perfect for those roles yes and they worked very hard and put on an incredible show yeah. Speaking of swings, Lucy Island was in this show, which is amazing. She is uh, somebody that I follow on TikTok. If you do not know who she is, go and look her up. Her TikTok is Lucy Island. And she is the TikToker who does pop songs in the style of musical theatre. And it's amazing. They're very, very funny. Yeah. Videos that show me a few of them. So it was cool to see her in this. Yeah. Also a GSA person. Yes. Uh, And final bit of casting before we we start discussing the show is we had Darren Day as Reverend Moore. Yes, we did. Uh, Darren Day, I, I knew primarily, again, through reality TV shows. I remember very early season of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here with Darren Day and Celebrity Big Brother. So was aware of them being like a reality TV personality. Mm-hmm. Wasn't aware until looking at the programme of this extensive musical CV. So, and obviously, you know, has released CDs and albums. 
but it was really nice, you know, uh, again, pleasantly surprised because I, I kind of went into it again thinking, oh, is this stunt casting? Because I recognise the name, but I don't know much about them. Yeah. And I thought Darren Day was great in this as well. Yeah, so he I, was amazing. I believe I've seen him in Rocky Horror. I can imagine he would have been the narrator. No, he was Frankenfurter. Oh, very cool. This is like 1990s, by the way, when this happened. But I've seen videos of his performance. I was going to say, not four-year-old you going to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. Kind of wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised. But yes, he is a fantastic theatre performer, just generally. Yeah. Which is always really nice when, like you say, somebody that you know from TV or from wherever. But you, and you find out they have a huge history of theatre. Yeah. Which is really cool. It is very cool. So we start, I think appropriately, with the song. High energy. You know, you start off with the song that everyone in your audience is going to go to. Mm-hmm. You know, Footloose. Yes. And this is one of the things that was changed in the revision. <laughs> that we start with this song, but that also it's Rusty, Wendy Joe, and Earlene singing the opening of this show, who then go on to be our sort of side narrative protagonists yes. in the rest of the show. They are not playing, so far as I'm aware, so far as I've seen from the script and from the uh, behind the scenes of this, they're playing those characters, even though they're in this Chicago setting. It's weird. Yeah, really I weird. didn't really like or get this opening Chicago setting. So you have like Ren come out and he's been working and... So hard. I just... He's punching his card. I just, <laughs> for me, it didn't set him up as a teenager. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because like, he's in proper overalls. You imagine him doing some real manual labour. Yeah, I... In a job that is not really appropriate for this teenage character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way they were like, oh, we're going to go out to the clubs and everything. I was like, how old are you? Yeah. It, it's a weird, jarring opening. It, I guess it's important we establish that he's a popular man in Chicago and he's got to leave the town, which is going to heart, you know, break his heart, but also has a passion for dance. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there must be a better way to do that. Like, if we showed yeah. a prom situation or something, you know? I think he he works at a steel mill or something. He's wearing overalls. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to then circle back round later when he dances at the steel mill. But that isn't in the stage show. No, that isn't in the stage show. So I, I feel like the song that we're supposed to have for that was done, like, during gym class, where they're all in their, like, gym attire. With the high school musical dance number, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's um, um, I'm free. Yeah. Or heaven help me. It's heaven one of those helps two. the man. Yeah. Heaven helps the man. Yeah, because I recognise that one as well from Family yeah, Guy. Yeah, because it's the adults singing, "Heaven helps the man," and the kids sing, "I'm free." Yeah. So I feel like it's an in, it's an opening. It doesn't necessarily engage me. It, it kind of sets that he's leaving and that he's popular, but it could be better. I think, you know, you could easily have shown him in, in school and, you know, the been working so hard could have been to do with, like, exams and... Yeah, we don't need to take this song literally. Like, the I'm punching my card, like, he's clocking out of Chicago. We can yeah. get that. It's a metaphor. But, yeah, you're right. It's it's a weird 
It doesn't set him up to be a kid. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm never sure how old he's supposed to be. He must be 17, 18. Yeah. It, well, they talk case, about going to college later on when they're on the train tracks. Oh, but yeah. So they're a year out of college, like it's their, their seniors. Right. But that's, you know, show him leaving school and it's his last day in Chicago and he's then going to move to the middle of absolute nowhere. Yeah, moving to Beaumont. And, you know, it could be that, you know, you have like a montage here of him leaving school and packing in between like the dancing before it finally leaves. Yeah, because the joke of this song is that at the end when he says he's leaving, the way that we get to Beaumont is he says, oh, I'm moving to Beaumont. And then everyone around him goes, Beaumont? Where the hell is Beaumont? Yeah. And then we cut. And... It's a nice little. Yeah, I do. Well done. I like Except the car and everything, which I like the car. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I thought it was cool. I did like the set for this. That you had like the kind of facade of like industrial estate, mm-hmm. and they pull it, and you have the car, and you see them packing, and then everything opens up, and you. I really like the transition because it feels like from that world into what Beaumont We've, represents. Like, zoomed in, yeah, yeah, and you have this cross come down. The neon cross, I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Did you notice that one the of the wibbly neon, yeah, the wibbly, the yeah. neon cross? I loved that, and it's a really nice transition because we show the world he's leaving into the world he's arriving to. As we have uh, Sunday morning on any Sunday, mm-hmm. and you have the Reverend delivering a sermon, and everyone being very oh yes, and obviously he's part of that sermon. Wren's there watching. He welcomes. Uh, the reverend welcomes them to the town because he sort of it's one of those places where everyone knows everyone by name and you already get the sense of ren's gonna have struggles because the rest of the teenagers seem to be uptight uptight but also they look down on him already like there's some sarcasm to them i like like rusty's she's wearing a fanta I love the Fanta t-shirt Fanta that t-shirt. definitely came from like Primark. Yeah, <laughs> I really great. like that. But you get the sense of there's a real difference in these generations, whereas the adults all dress in their Sunday best. Mm-hmm. The teenagers are dressed... In, as them. Yes, with the exception of Ariel, who is still more moderate. Conservative, I think is the word. That's it. That's, yeah. what, that's what I wanted, is more conservative at this point. But it's a nice transition and you have the Reverend who comes across as a likeable character at this point, you know, hasn't established anything, welcomes everyone to community. Mm-hmm. And we learn that the uncle has taken in Ren and his mother. Yeah, so the uncle is supposed to have a wife. In the original version, the versions that I've seen, the stage show, not yeah. the film, um, it's the aunt and uncle. Uh, but it is Ren's mum's brother. Yes, and this is where they're from, too. So the reason why we're moving here is because Ren's dad walked out on them and Ren's mum cannot afford to pay for everything on her own. So her brother has offered to take her in and help look after them and everything, be the man of the household, all that stuff that we expect yeah. of Midwestern conservatives. Yes. I, you know, you, you do a good job establishing that he's this conservative minister because he goes on about, you know, the evils of rock and roll and how it's destroying our town and where are, where's where's our ideals that we used to always strive for. Mm-hmm. And he introduces his family to everyone and they seem like a good, happy family. Yeah, Ariel sings along with the... Yes. The sermon. Prayer thing that they do at yeah. the end of the sermon. It's not him, it's like part of his prayer. It is. And... You know, they, they praise the uncle. They talk about, like, the living arrangements and they praise the uncle for taking in this family and obviously 
converting a room for this boy. Mm-hmm. It seems like everyone's going to get on well at this point. Yes. So the sermon that he does also covers the evils of rock and roll and how it leads to uh, illicit... I don't know how to phrase this without just how how it's a, it's a it's a slope. Yes, yeah, it's a slippery, slippery slope. slope. I don't like the next song. So they all leave and they go to the diner, mm-hmm. and we see Ariel get rid of her skirt and she's got these red hot pants, which cool. Match okay. her red boots. A yes. little bit more to her than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. I don't like the song. The girl gets around. I don't really like the sentiment behind it yes this is another thing i'm gonna keep bringing this up because it's context but this is another thing that got changed in the the rewrite of this show so originally ariel and chuck which is her trashy boyfriend and they refer to him as trailer trash in the show um even though when we see him talk to adults, he's quite respectful, which I think is But they is know, really they all seem to know, though. He, he, it's almost like he doesn't realise he's seen this way, and they know his true character. Yeah. It's almost like the idea that teenagers think they're so subtle, and the, old, the adult's like, okay. Well, yeah, we know who you are. We know who you Chill are. Out. Um, but yes, so they originally were not dating. Yeah. They are only getting together to hook up. And that's sort of a point of conflict between Ariel and her dad is that she is not a virgin and, you know, the horrors of that, obviously. Which I've got no issue with, like, obviously, you know. As a narrative point. As a na- yeah. yeah, and, you know, as a narrative point, I just don't like the sentiment here of the song being... Yeah, so what it's supposed to be is Chuck being like, oh, everybody thinks this girl is such a goody-goody, but they don't know that she has sex with me. And... Like, she's playing up to it and being like, oh my god, yeah, I'm so coy, but actually, I'm not. And then, it's so it's supposed to be satirical. Mm. But in this version, they're dating. Yeah. <laughs> so, it doesn't make any sense. But it also feels very much like, because the way it's phrased, a lot of the whole sense of when the girl gets around comes from the male characters. Mm-hmm. Which, again, feels, even though she's she's in, into it and she's playing up to it a little bit. Yeah, and it's not just Chuck that's singing it as no. well. It's some of the other guys. But it feels, again, like it's getting into that verge of slut-shaming. Yeah, it is. Kind that, of... you know, would they say it's about Chuck? No, because Chuck's a stud. You know, I don't really like the sentiment behind it, but I do like that it builds this moment where the Reverend walks in and he's like. Oh, I think this is such an interesting bit for his character, too, because in like every other, I think, teenager movie, like really, how did you think this was going to go when he walked in? I genuinely thought he was going to drag her out by her ear. Yeah. And the next scene would have him being like, that's it, you're staying in this house, you're, you're not never going leaving to again, bar the door. Because doors, he's like... our villain as well. And we'll talk about this going through the show because I am going to argue some things with you, I'm sure. I know. Uh, I don't think it's as black as white as I as I said in the preamble. Mm-hmm. But the fact that... But I thought he was going to like put her up under lock and key and Ren's going to have to climb her hair to let her out, you know? Yeah, and the fact that he walks in, sees her... And is like, your mother thought you might not have any money on you. And gives her like $10 or whatever to spend. Because they're at a diner. Yeah, so it won't be much. And then he just turns around and leaves. And that's almost worse. 
you know, when somebody's disappointed in you well, this instead is the of thing just is, he actually is quite respectable and there's a lot of empathy I can have with this character, shock horror. Yeah, because as he leaves, Rusty is like, hello, Reverend. <laughs> yeah, like, he's not there shouting and obviously he still has to play up to the way he is. Like, he's, you know, in in, in a lot of towns, maybe still to this day, I don't know, but certainly at this point in, ta- in, in time, your religious leader within your town was probably more important than any elected official. Mm-hmm. So he will... when they bring that up, that he has so much power over the way that people think because they all respect him so much. Yeah, and he he's he's got to be aware that his sway only has so much power, depending on the you know presentation of him and his family within within the community. So for him to just be like, you know, off you go, and even when she comes home in a bit, he's quite calm when he talks to her. Mm-hmm. So she when she does go home. He is not pleased about it, but he doesn't really say anything. And she apologizes yeah. and her excuses. She doesn't know what came over her. It must have been that music. Yes. Because she thinks that will play into his hatred of rock and roll. Yeah. And it's it semi works. It's There's more of them arguing and her being like, you never listen to me. But, yeah. you know. But I, I'm, I'll be honest. I find it very interesting that within this production we saw, I actually felt he'd been quite fair to her. So her storming, at this point, yeah. At this point, him, her storming out is like, put me off her a little bit because I'm thinking you're just being a rebel without a cause as a teenager where your dad is aware of his position in society but actually treats you with more respect than maybe you think you get. Mm-hmm. And this is my biggest issue with Ren as a character. Yeah. Like exactly what you've just said. Ren feels like a rebel without a cause in this whole plot. And I think it's maybe less so in the film, specifically the Kevin Bacon one, but there never feels like there are any stakes to this. Yeah. You know, they are a year out of going to go away to college. Ariel has lines later on where she says she's applied for colleges. Her father doesn't even know about. Yeah. It's the eighties. How expensive was it to go to college in the eighties? Probably free, you know? Especially for a minister's daughter. Well, exactly. And I'm sure Ariel doesn't want to go to a Catholic college, but if she did, I'm sure it would be free, you know? But really, oh, maybe I'm just old. Maybe this is... That's sort of the issue that I feel like I've encountered. Maybe this is one of those shows that's got like an age limit. Like the older you get, the more you side with the leaders yeah. as opposed to the teenagers and of course the the moral of this is everybody should be free to express themselves in their own way yeah and ren wants to be able to dance but like this all feels like there's no there's not going to be any negative payoff things just carry on the way that they are yeah. it's not going to get worse you know yeah super uh, interesting it is. so we go to the next day ren's at school this is really you know fun little set piece he comes out of the shower he's got his towel on and he literally bumps into willard Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because willard initially wants to fight him because they bump into each other and willard's like if you bump into somebody around here you're gonna get bumped back and it's more setting up the like way that this town works and again it's kind of confusing because i thought oh okay are they going to become an antagonist to ren yeah, because I wasn't sure that Chuck was going to be there. We've seen we've seen Ren come into the diner and all all the girls kind of look at him, you know, 
shiny new toy and obviously chucks off limits and the rest of the boys they've grown up with are not interested. So Ren strikes their fancy. But yeah, because we have Wendy, Joe and Erlene, which yeah. are Rusty's two friends. Wendy, Joe is set up to be kind of a geek. She is just... I'll tell you who she looks like. She looks like Susie from Stranger Things. Yes, but she's Jan from Greece. Yeah, it's exactly the same, the same character. character. But there's things where like she'll accidentally get bumped into yes. and she's like, oh my goodness, keep bumping into me. <laughs> and it's or, cute. And there's another fun bit where, who, what was the other girl's name? Aline. So when they're at the diner later on and Ren's on skates, he puts his arm out, he can't stop and he accidentally gropes her and he's like, I'm so sorry. And then... Wendy Joe walks up and presents like Come on, my dude. chest out. <laughs> yeah. like, you can do me too. And you know, like I, I like these moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're all very interested in Ren. Ren is got, you know, kind of getting the sense of he feels a little big for his boots here in this town, but he doesn't quite fit in. People are against him yeah. for no other reason than he's outsiders. I, and you know, it kind of plays into the fact that, you know, these two girls like him. So maybe the other boys are jealous of him because what's he got that I don't. But I was expecting Willard to kind of be set up as the antagonist because he wants to fight and then we go into I can't stand still. Yes. Which I, you know, I like. As I think it's a really fun, upbeat song. I think that Josh Hawkins looks phenomenal doing this. You know, he's in just a towel, you know, so he's got abs out on display, tattoos, which I don't know if they're part of the character. Or if they're his tattoos, I would imagine they are stage makeup. I don't know, because they weren't important. Mm, that's, I mean, this is the thing. I feel like they, they kind of say a lot about this character without saying a lot about the character. Hmm. You know, it, it's that subtext that here in Chicago, he would have these. And it's just something else that makes him stand out. Because rumours would spread around the town. Oh, this boy's got tattoos. Oh, his mum's let him run wild. Keep him on a tight leash. But I, I, they never get brought up, so I don't know if they're important. Mm-hmm. But I really like this sequence, the way he's dancing, you know, uh, he, he kind of pushes Willard down, he's dancing over Willard, and, you know, he has that moment where he does, he drops down and he does like a reverse worm, and then, you know, his towel gets held out by Willard and he gets into his jeans on stage. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a really high energy number. We see his whole butt. We do see <laughs> which his whole A moment for us, which yes. I always think is really funny, especially when kind of seemed like an accident yeah yeah but i thought it was a really fun sequence and i think it did a lot to establish what ren's character is and willard obviously again being quite cautious the principal walks into the the changing rooms or i guess maybe they're outside the changing rooms they are just his tattoos oh very cool Mm -hmm. i liked the tattoos Mm. just didn't know if they were part of the character the principal walks in and is like, what did I catch you doing? And we're like, we weren't doing nothing. And, you know, they're very concerned because Willard knows dance is banned and Ren's like, he hasn't learnt this yet and is talking. Nobody's told him yes. either. And the principal uh, leaves, but gives obviously a very stern warning. Willard stands up for him, which is like, okay, cool. Nice is going to be a loyal friend here. I am going to say now, I don't like the multi-role casting. I was about to say, now is a good time to talk about this. Yeah, I don't like the multi-role casting of the principal and the coach also being Ren's mum. 
Uh, you are wrong. About the casting. Am I? Yes. So the principal, Principal Clark, is yeah. Vi Moore, is Ariel's mum. Oh, okay. And then Ren's mum is Ethel McCormack, Mrs. McCormack. Yep. Betty, who works at the diner. Okay, and the coach. And the coach. Right. And I will say, Holly Ashton, who plays Vi and the principal. Yes. That was very clearly the same person. I thought it, she has the same haircut. Like, yes. it, it was very obviously Holly Ashton. Wendy Paver, and I really hope I'm saying that right, um, when she was the mum and Betty, I could tell it was the same person, but I genuinely thought the coach was played by a different actress. No, I knew it was, I knew the coach. I knew she was the coach. That's why I'm getting out of it. I thought she was the principal as well. Something else we should talk about now. The cast played instruments on stage. Yes, and I really like that touch. And it was amazing. And Wendy Paver played the saxophone in one scene and she's like marching onto the stage as the coach playing the saxophone and it was just amazing it's very cool so i lost track cool. of all the instruments being played but you've also got guitar saxophones uh flutes recorders it's very very cool it's and you can see where the person who directed this and helped write it obviously has been involved in chicago because mm -hmm. it's it was very reminiscent of chicago i think i don't like that a character who was so antagonistic to ren was also the same actor who played parent i think the biggest issue with this holly ashton was very talented and we'll talk about when we get to learning to be silent yes like ridiculously talented i think it's the costuming mm. because for the principal and for vi they look the same and i genuinely because obviously i've seen this before you thought the principal was the minister's wife well, that would make sense, wouldn't yeah. it? You you could reconcile in your brain being like, oh, of course the minister's wife is the principal of the school. Like, that makes sense. She isn't. They're com two completely different people. I almost wish she was also the principal. And that that's how they met. Yeah. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. Because then she could be a little bit meaner to him because she's just sort of nice. Sort she of is nice. Sometimes. She's actually on his side more mm -hmm. than anything else. Once uh, the principal leaves... We get a little bit between Rusty and Willard mm -hmm. that Rusty's all very impressed because she's got a huge crush on Willard and Willard's got a huge crush on her, but they don't know how to talk about it yet. And it's, I like the side plot there between the pair of them. It never really goes into much more detail, mm -hmm. but in the same time, I don't think it ever needs to have much more focus on what it has. It's like a nice secondary lovers plot line without saying it's welcome. Yeah. And... This is when Rusty, Wendy, Joe and Erlene talk to Ren about dancing being illegal because Reverend Moore passed a law that forbids dancing. And this is in response to four Beaumont children or teenagers who died in a car crash on the way back from a dancing club. And I think it's really clever how they have the Reverend keep referring to them as children. It is. Because obviously, first of all, they are children. They're under 18. Yes. But... The way that he's controlling the town with this yeah. is reminding them of that and calling them children, calling them young people. And we have a moment in Act 2 that hinges on that. Yes, so he keeps referring to them. As children, as young people who tragically lost their lives. Yeah, but it, it's also very disconnected. Yes. Like, he never names them. He never exactly. says anything about them as people. They're just these tragic figures who lost their and lives. And it also gives the idea that this has been going on a lot longer than it actually might have done. 
because it's like four years right five yeah, years but you get the sense that because there's that disconnect yeah it's a lot longer that maybe this law was passed before he had children mm-hmm. but more on that in a bit we get somebody's eyes which is a really nice little montage song they're telling Ooh, this song is so nice i really like the way this is staged because they go through different parts of Ren's life in town. And you really do. I complain about this so frequently in shows that the passage of time, they try to do too much. Mm-hmm. And actually, it, it count, it's counterproductive because I lose track of how much time has gone on or it's kind of like that's the scope of that is ridiculous. This does a really good job at showing that, in my mind, months have gone by at this point and he's just rejected after rejected. He's treated differently. He loses job after job after job. Uh, he becomes more and more isolated. And I think this does a really good job at serving it as a montage for that. Yeah. I love the staging moment. So they turn the shower cubicles into lockers and they poke their heads through. And it's a really fun little song. And you have moments where they stop and some acting takes place. So you see perhaps most significantly at his uncle's house Mm -hmm. where his uncle's having a go and mum tries to stand up but his uncle goes to hit her and hit him So, so there are two there were two moments of this yeah in this show there's this moment here where Ren's uncle goes to hit him. And his uncle's name is Wes. I've just remembered. He is played by Ben Barrow, who was very good. And also, um, because he's an onstage swing, so he plays Wes, but then he also takes on other roles. He did fulfil a minor boy role as well. Um, So he goes to hit Ren. And then there's a scene later where the Reverend goes to hit Ariel, and both times they're supposed to hit them yeah and it's sort of supposed to link to each other because it's we're both like this is what they feel like they can do to kids because they're kids and neither time in this version did that happen i don't know whether i'm glad it didn't but i don't know whether it was just that the performers didn't move quickly enough or they just decided that as a character choice for this particular run of the show if it is a character choice i like it i like it a lot i think and actually the book ending is really important i one of my biggest critiques of this show and i you talked about how maybe some characters don't get the same depth is again to do with ren's mum mm-hmm. because she's the one who gets away from this town it feels very much like everyone else has always been part of this town they don't get to go away and she's had to come back tail between her legs She's to living. this small town where everybody knows that she's the one who got away. She went to Chicago, lived and, in the big city. And she and failed she's and she, now yeah. she's back with her, I assume, older brother. I, I, perhaps just that's my assumption, but older brother. And now she's under his roof where the yeah. man is in charge. Mm-hmm. And like she doesn't stand up to him on these things. Like he's put he puts her in her place. When she tries to stand up for Ren, he shuts her up. And... I wanted to see so much more from her character because I find this so interesting that she's lost her voice again and there should be more moments where she tries to stand up for Ren or tries to empower Ren but fails because she's lost her voice before she finally finds it at the end. There needs to be more that builds up because at the end she's going to give Ren a pep talk. 
And that moment would be even more powerful if we had more moments like this, mm-hmm. where she started to realise that the town was having the same impact on Ren that it was her, and she needed to empower him, and that she was not failing as a mother, but she wasn't helping the situation. And hearing Ren lose himself is what kind of bucked her up. Yeah. It just kind of... She was such a side character when I feel she should just have a little bit more importance. Mm-hmm. But this this sequence was great. I think it, it did a really good job at showing him get fired, 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 struggling at school, bullied by Chuck and Chuck's gang, and just made me feel miserable for him because he wasn't happy. And you could see where the soul, you know, it, comparing, you know, to I can't stand still to where he is at the end of somebody's eyes. Mm-hmm. He was broken. And I think it was a really good sequence of doing that. Yeah. I think... So this is one of the things where condensing the plot to focus just really on Wren, Willard, Rusty and Ariel and the vicar. Yeah. Vicar, Reverend, has affected other characters. So, like, we get a lot more from Chuck in the movie and in the original version of this, but specifically we get a lot more from Ethel. She gets a job working as a... Waitress in a cocktail bar. <laughs> I wish that song was in this. It's the wrong era though, right? Yeah. Um, She's like a teller in a... Bank. No, uh, I don't know what you call it. Checkout worker. In yeah, a... like a supermarket, like a till worker. Yeah, and... She gets fired because of the way that Ren behaves. It affects her life personally. There's a bit where somebody throws a brick through the window of their house that says, like, burn in hell on it. Like, all of this is really affecting her, and you get to see a lot of it. Yeah. It's supposed to be, like, she's so strong that she has come crawling back to this town, and she's trying to pick her life up again. And she never blames Ren for anything, which I always appreciated about her character. Yes, no, and I agree with that. I think we, you know, this show does a really good job of showing the difference in two lives. I like that when we have Reverend Moore's like den, it just gets floated in stage. Uh, oh, it's so nice! So yeah. nice, and it's a nice little set piece that set comes piece in. Is amazing. I really feel like everything we're saying is very much feeding into the original feedback for this show, which was that the actual making of this show, the dancing, the performers, the set, are incredible. Yeah. But that the plot is what is lacking. Possibly. I mean, really, so far, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying the plot. Mm. Because there's just, there's just like the odd thing here or there. That I'm just like, I'd like more depth to this character. And I do think ultimately it is only uh, Ethel that I, I, I feel a desire for more. No one else I feel is cut to a point of not caring. Mm-hmm. But we do. We, we show Ariel having issues with her dad. And they have an argument to storm off. And then you have Vi uh, bickering and kind of like trying to talk to him. Be like, remember when we were, you know, her age? And we all know that Chuck is awful. But do you remember the guy that I was seeing before you? She'll learn eventually that he's not for her and move on. But the more we push, the more likely we are to push her further into him. And they have an argument and the Reverend storms off. Mm-hmm. Not, and he doesn't explode with passionate anger again like I'm expecting him to. It's defeat more than anything else. Mm-hmm. He's not explosive and 
rude and violent like I was expecting him to be. He's just quiet and defeated and storms off. And I'm thinking, okay, very interesting. And we get learning to be silent. This is, I think, the main cause for why there feels like a lack, especially when it comes to both Vi and Ethel. Yeah. Because this song is about how... Well, so there's two things. This song feels like it is about how, as women in this small town, they are expected to be subservient to their male counterparts. What this song is actually supposed to be about is that everybody is set so set in their ways that nobody will listen to change. Yeah. Because what Ethel is supposed to be singing about in this is that Ren, everybody's so suspicious of Ren just because he's never been in this town before. And like she's not getting the same treatment that Ren is because she used to live here and she knows, still knows everybody. But because Ren doesn't know anyone, he didn't grow up here, everybody's really suspicious of him. Yeah. That's not how it comes across at all. I'll be honest, I completely forgot that Ethel was in this song until you just said that. Well, it's always been a duet between Ethel and Vi, but they added Ariel, Ariel. joining it. Yeah. And I think that cements it as being a nobody listens to us because we're women's yes, song because that's... she's starting to learn that. She's a teenager. You can see where the one generation is flowing into another generation. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's interesting. It is very, very interesting, especially because at this point, in my mind, I think Ethel comes across a lot younger than Reverend and Vi. Mm-hmm. So you imagine that they are older and then you have the door, you know, and then you have Ariel, but you've got like one generation and another generation and then another generation. It's just showing things repeating after each other. I don't realise at this point that chances are they're probably the same age. Or similar-ish. Yeah, because similar-ish. they seem to... At the very least, know of each other. Yeah. I feel like Vi is older than Ethel, but not oh, yeah, by Ethel, a whole lot. Ethel's escaped the town and she's had a child a lot younger with a man that she's probably not married to because that's... Well, that's its own city, issue, Chicago. Yeah. Whereas, you know, she's probably fresh out of high school, in her 20s, and she has Ren. Whereas Vi and Reverend Moore probably mm-hmm. had kids well into their 30s. Yeah. So, anyway, they have this song... It's okay. It's a beautiful song. Vi, uh, Holly Ashton, who plays Vi, her singing voice is incredible and she sounds great. And the way that this song ends, she just sounds so defeated. It just is very out of very out of step, I think, with the rest of the show. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, this song does need some kind of variation. It can't all be like 80s bops, nostalgia driven, but also, mm-hmm. you know, songs that sound like the 80s. It needs to have the odd ballad here or there. Otherwise, it would all be too much. The next sequence is probably one of my favourite sequences because it starts with a guitar rift. And I'm just thinking, wait, I know this song. And you turned to me and you had this smile, like knowing smile on your yeah. face. And I was like, it's like, I know this song and I love this song. Mm-hmm. And I thought, OK, it's just that. It's just a little throwaway thing. But OK, fine. Um, so we're in Burger Blast, which is run by Betty. It is a... 50s roller diner yes and yeah. like you said already ren works there he does the accidental thing where he gropes why can i not remember Erlene. Erlene. i can never remember her name yeah and i really like you know you can sense it that he's a lot more a, a lot more broken than he was previously because he's far more desperate to keep this job and obviously betty's great is like don't worry you're not losing anything because mm-hmm. this this whole scene culminates with Chuck coming in 
and him and Wheeler kind of telling Chuck to, you know, walk on. Yeah. The girls are doing their homework. They are writing their book reports. On Camelot. Well, Ariel is. The others are talking about how they watched the movie, which the movie of Camelot is a musical. It's yes. It's classic musical. Uh, yeah, because uh, Wendy Jo... Oh, yeah. ...is saying is talking about it. And that, how do you know? Did you read the book? And and she, she like, says, quotes it. And she's like, no, I watched the film. One of my favourite jokes in this is when they, they hear Ariel say Camelot, and they're like, came a lot and they're laughing about no, it like, Arlene says came a lot yeah and they, they laugh at it because they think that's how it's said no it's Camelot yeah. and I just just a silly thing but it's nice to see girls making that sort of humour as well you know yes, like indeed. yeah it would have usually been the males make that joke I, I liked it you know it's a small thing that makes me feel less like they're just these stereotypical yeah. characters Una Cox who plays Rusty gets a whole lot to do in this one because yeah. she her and Ariel sort of duet the, they do majority of this next song yes. which you literally lost your mind at yes i had to try not to sing in the theater because mm-hmm. we we know the rules uh, i love holding out for a hero it is one of my favorite songs ever mm-hmm. i remember watching it first like watching pop stars the rivals i don't know what that is that's the one that had girls allowed and I remember Sarah... Is, what, a TV show? Yeah, it was X Factor of its day. Right. They created two musical groups, Boys versus Girls, and they were competed for Christmas number one, and Girls Allowed not only were created there, but they won that. And you had Sarah Harding sing Holding Out for a Hero, and I was like, oh, I love this song. And my mum played the Bonnie Tyler version, which obviously came from Footloose, mm-hmm. and I loved that version. And then Shrek 2 existed... And has the best musical sequence in any film ever. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing we've done on this podcast will change my mind. The end of Shrek 2, where you have Fairy Godmother singing Holding Out for a Hero. Mm-hmm. And you have the Kaiju Gingerbread Man. And you have Handsome Shrek trying to rescue Fiona. And you have Puss in Boots being like, today I pay my debts. That whole sequence is magnificent. And it's done to the best song ever which is also the same version of the song that somebody has put with the end of Endgame. And I love it Mm -hmm. so much because it fits that. And if you haven't, Google Shrek, I Need a Hero, Avengers Endgame, best five minutes of your life. Come back and join us once you have and tweet me that you agree. But I love this song so much. So when I heard it, I was like, yes, yes. And it didn't disappoint. It was brilliant. It was utterly brilliant i love you know that we're seeing the girls kind of objectify the men here as well mm-hmm. the way that you know they take willard's clothes and they like tear off his dungarees and he's in like these golden hot pants and he's posturing because this is what they view a hero to be mm-hmm. the guitars and the instruments being played on stage make this feel really like epic. it's also the first and only kind of time that we see willard have a big dance number yes because it's all a dream sequence it's all like willard cannot dance and that becomes a plot point in a second it is it's a really really great little sequence you know that they all want this hero character they want a man who you know they're sick of the chucks of the world even ariel who's been flirting with ren they recognize they want something more from this world than just the same boys they've grown up with and it's nice because we see Rusty's 
head how she views Willard. Mm-hmm. And she also, it helps us get the sense that Ariel will start recognising that Ren is her hero. I like the way that the men are on stage, like with their muscles and like posturing as the women dance around to their heroes. I really loved this sequence. I thought it was fantastic. And it's ruined because Chuck shows up. Yeah. And starts yelling at Ariel. And Ren and Willard defend her and Betty breaks up the fight. Ren's like, oh, I'm fine. And she's like, no, because you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I see a good boy in you. It's nice because he needs somebody. And this is where I like the idea that, you know, the mum multi-roles because, you know. There's all these sort of motherly figures around. Motherly figures. And if he had more motherly figures who were backing him, they were always his mum. That then when she's like, I've not been a very good mum to you. I I should have been the one giving you this advice. You'd be like, but he he sees these women as you. Mm -hmm. You know, perhaps I'm reading too much into it. But, you know, it's what we do on this show. After work ariel goes to the train tracks with ren shows him his seat her secret place yep. shouts at the trains you scream to onto the train yeah and they they start to break through the barriers a little bit mm-hmm. not much but they start to and there's a weird bit here where we see chuck and his friends put balaclavas on yeah, so what's supposed to have happened is that Chuck saw Ariel and Ren together because he knows where this place is because him and Ariel were dating. She would bring him here. And so he goes there to look for her and sees that they're together. And then Ariel and Ren, Ren walks Ariel home. Yeah. Yeah. And her parents thought she was up in her room the whole time. Yes. Which I think is actually really funny. And this is the first bit I get annoyed by Reverend Moore. Or Reverend Moore Shaw. Which the whole thing is where they start to play a little bit more into the like, oh, he doesn't listen to his wife. He's an idiot. Yes. And is just a, just a little bit of a nasty man at this point. Because previously he's kind of been like, okay, he's trying. Here, he's gone on about how he wants his daughter to be with anyone else. And he's finally got this, but not, but not this guy. But not anyone this guy. Else, but not this guy. And you get the sense that it'd always be anyone else. It would always be anyone else. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it, well, what he wants is for her to go with a good church-going boy. Yes, and you know, obviously, Ren's got this reputation that's built up unfairly, and you know, Ren being nervous accidentally insults him, and because he's playing bridge, isn't he? And he's got the coach there, and he's got Ren's uncle there. Mm-hmm. And they're all, you know, he makes a situation. Oh, yeah, they're like, all there playing bridge. Yes. And that's know, an old person card game. It is. <laughs> but Vi walks him out and is like, you kind of screwed the pooch on that one, you know, but is joking with him. He's quite like, yeah, yeah. In a sense, she's kind of on his side because she's like, listen, you're a nice boy. Thank you for walking our daughter home. Yeah, she should have been upstairs, but at least you were a gentleman about this and maybe with time mm-hmm. maybe don't do this again but with time you'll, you'll win him round I've, you know yeah Ariel says that her dad is making her feel like a prisoner in this town not even just in the house the whole town which yes. is fair yeah because she talks about I also tells him off and he's like oh, I've upset all the women but this is it because they talk about how because I, I don't know if this is this point where Vi says about you know, nobody ever thinks about how difficult it is to be a preacher's wife. I back you. I support you. I, I love these sermons and you put so much effort, but you are not yourself. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that Ariel has said is I used to love 
listening to you to, li- to deliver these sermons because you believed in what you were saying, but now you're just spouting nonsense. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, I've come up with a really interesting idea about this character, which I talked to you about at the interval, and we'll talk about it in a moment when we get to the interval. Well, I guess we'll talk about it now. I think at this point that Shaw is depressed. You know, that he's going through the motions and he does what he thinks is right, but he just strikes me as a really depressed character. Mm-hmm. That and, and and because he's in this age where men don't talk about depression, he doesn't recognise it. He's a he's a man of God. He, he his life should be set. And he's he's facing one pursuit after the next, hoping that it will fill that void that he's got. Yeah. And I don't know where this void is at this point, but I'm like, this man is depressed. I can't see him as the villain. Full stop. I, I know he's doing some really wrong things mm-hmm. and there's no excuse for the way he treats his wife and daughter. But because I see him as depressed, I feel sorry for him. Yeah. More than anything else, I feel really sorry for this character because he lives in a world that doesn't give him a voice because mm-hmm. men are men in this in this time period. And... He's not allowed to talk about his feelings and something has happened that he's lost belief in himself. And I felt really sorry for him. I don't really care about him as a person. Yeah. It's cemented by him trying to hit his kid. But like, I just, I don't care about him as a person. He hasn't tried to hit her yet. No, I know. But I mean, when we get to that. Yeah. And, but I do, I left this thing feeling really sorry. And then obviously, you know, he forms heaven help me which again really good really lovely song darren day ridiculously talented Uh, but again this one feels weirdly disconnected his songs do though his songs feel very much tonally different yeah which they should they should but i think there should also be some kind of connection like maybe we should be able to hear little bits of rock influence into his songs yeah. At certain points, like maybe when he sounds vulnerable. Like the rock is starting to win. Yeah. I think that would be interesting anyway. You just want it to be Hellfire. Yeah. <laughs> but it is it is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Next day we have Jim Class and Ren is injured. Yeah, he shows up late and the coach doesn't care because the reason why he's late is because he was jumped by Chuck yes. and his friends. Yeah, and, and is just like making excuses and it's like, oh, this awful town doesn't give him any credit. Mm-hmm. And but even like Ariel and Rusty are saying, "Hey, this isn't his fault." Yeah. And then the coach makes everybody do press ups. She leaves, and all the kids are like, "Time to dance." Yeah. And this is where they come up with the idea that you know, uh, Willard makes a joke about how like, oh, maybe you should take her out dancing. That would probably cheer her up. Yeah. About the coach, and Ren is like, "Huh, yes." And they have this idea that, you know, he can change the opinions because he's passionate enough that he can he can overthrow this role. Mm-hmm. And they all start doing the high school musical dance sequence to Heaven Helps the Man and I'm Free. Yeah. And I felt like, yeah, you know, you, you see like the adults start hearing about this and Act 1 ends mm-hmm. with this moment where it's like, I thought the vote had already happened and had been turned down. So it's kind of like a confusing thing, but you watch like the adults staring down the children being like, oh, don't get your hopes up. Nothing's going to change here. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good sequence, but I'd imagine that this is where you'd have, because you have like the angry dancing 
this is where I was, you know, thinking, okay, we would have this big dance sequence in the steel mill. Yeah. So, yeah, interval. I, you know, I'm having a good time at this point. I feel like act two, as is always the way with most musicals, like literally flies by. Mm -hmm. That the plot is kind of like segmented more so than ever. Like we get the section when they go out of town. We get the reaction to that. We get like preparing to go to the town council. The town council, the ending. You know, it's very, very quick. Yes. And something that is brought up multiple times in the second act of this show is that almost every time somebody says dancing is banned in act two, they say within town limits. Yes. And it's brought up over and over and over again for the rest of the show. And it kind of defeats, I mean, obviously he wants to make it as legal to dance in town, but when they can easily drive... This town is supposed to be 100 miles away. Is it? Yeah. It doesn't feel it. It's no. like a night out because... Ren well, no, here it's a neighbouring town. Yeah. But it's supposed to be that they've had to drive a, a, like a way away from the town to get here. Yeah. Well, it's like Willard's mum's car that they've come here in. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, Ren, Willard, Willard, Ariel and Rusty, they've gone to this town and we have Still Rocking with a country band, mm -hmm. which is okay. It's not the best act to opener in the world. I like it. I think it's cute. And I think because we have Cowboy Bob, who in this, in this performance was played by Alex Fobster who normally plays one of the other boys called Bickle. Basically, everybody got bumped up for this because uh, that's how swings work, basically, yes. as you play other roles. I think Alex Forbester was really, really good. Um, oh, yeah. Cowboy Bob was... This is just supposed to be a nice opening. Yeah, it, I mean, it is. It sets up the, the tone of the place. It know? does, yeah. Uh, we have a whole sequence where Rusty and Willard, will they, won't they, will they dance together, won't they dance together, Cowboy Bob... Flirts with Rusty Willard gets jealous because that's his girl. We get the typical thing of Willard trying to tell Ren that he can't dance and then eventually goes, I can't dance, damn it. And yeah. the music has stopped and he said it in front of everyone. Rusty and everyone is. like laughs because this country bumpkin boy doesn't know how to dance. But the cowboys offered to teach him. I didn't think the cowboys offered. I thought it was... Well, it's Ren. Ren that does teach him, but the cowboys are like, it's easy, just copy what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, because we have like a nice bit of cross-cutting where you have Ariel and Rusty talking, and then you have Ren and Willard talking over a beer. Which this song, I think, is very well integrated into the stage show because of the whole thing with like Willard doesn't have a doesn't talk much you know and the song is my baby he don't talk sweet he ain't got much to say yeah like it's a cute rusty and willard song was this this is a song that's in the film this yes, is yes actual... it is the song that is used to teach willard to dance cool yeah i was gonna say i recognized this song and you know it was good because eventually willard can dance mm-hmm yeah, and it ends with Willard and Ren doing like a big dance number and Rusty finally being like, hooray. Yeah, we can dance together now. 
Meanwhile, Chuck has shown up to try and find Ariel. At her house. Yes, and he's throwing stones at the window. And Vi comes out and is like... My dude, she's not here. She's not here. Can you go away? Yeah, (laughs) because... She says that she's at a sleepover doing... At Wendy Joe's yeah, with homework. Doing yeah. homework. And he, he says, well, that's funny because I've been there and she's, she's not, not there. there. Yeah. And Vi tries to like hold her reaction because... She's like, oh, really? They must have gone to the burger place to get some food. And he's like, she's not there either. And then the reverend comes out and kind Shuts of... Shuts this down very quickly. Very... Which I, I like that he treats... Ren and this boy the same. Yes. At least it's consistent. And then he finds out and he's very, very angry. Very annoyed. Uh, so Ariel shows up and there's a big argument. And I think that this is where he goes to hit her. Yes. And is... Vi intervenes and is like, so Ariel runs off. Vi is like, you need to chill out. Can you find it in your heart? Which is the song that starts. Yep. Can you find it in your heart to just love her for who she is? And, and this is where we get the the line where she's like, "What you've got to remember is that was my son too." Yeah. And this do is... they ever name this kid? Is it like Bobby or something? I'm pretty certain we do get a name, but I can't remember the name. It's not in the synopsis that I have, but yeah, or I didn't write it down. But um, yeah, we find out that one of the four kids who died after much partying uh, was their son yeah and who was older than ariel but how it's like affected them all differently and at this point i'm like okay he is depressed because he doesn't believe in the cause he's doing Mm -hmm. but this is his way at coping because he's taking it to be that you know maybe he was failing in his role as the town reverend so his son was taken from him and he's now trying to argue and do something that he doesn't believe in, but it's his sense of duty. Yeah. And it, again, I felt it was really good that through all of Act One, Darren Day's performance had hinted towards me of this deep depression. Mm-hmm. And now I had a payoff for it. That it wasn't just a random thing. Like these moments of quiet anger were very much like this character's depressed. He doesn't have the fight in him anymore. And it's all very much, I, I believe, a really strong character choice. Yeah. So, meanwhile... <laughs> meanwhile, the boys... And this is where we had... This is where we meet Jeter and Bickle. Yeah, and Bickle was... Ben Barrow, who plays Wes, yes. has become Bickle. And he does this amazing Mickey Mouse voice. Yeah. It was was really, really good. And, you know, because there wasn't much within costume or anything to show that it was a different actor. Because he's, you know, I think he's got quite an individual look. Mm -hmm. So on the surface, why is his uncle here? The voice was a good choice. Yes. And this is where they're trying to come up with the whole, what are we going to say? Yeah, so there used to be a song here called Dancing Is Not A Crime. It was a rap number. Well, we have a hint of it. Yeah, they cut it from being like a two-minute song to a verse. I'm glad, because I did feel it was very jarring. It wasn't of the right style. It didn't feel like it belonged. So he starts, he does like a verse of it, and his friends are like, please don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Please don't rap. So he's getting really discouraged. He wants to give up the whole thing. And then Willard does his big number, which is Mama Says. 
And it's all the advice his mum's given him. I really liked this. Yeah, it's cute. It felt like the payoff to the whole like joke that he's a mama's boy. Yeah, all the way through the show, he's been bringing up, oh, well, my mum always says, like, do this, you know? Yeah, and the advice is always a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. But I really liked this hit. And what I really like is, you know, you've got this section with like all the uh, tires and the way they move the props around. Yeah. And it felt really fun. Like this felt like a fun moment between this group of friends who are all like trying to make light of a serious situation. Mm-hmm. And it was a really good tension breaker. Yeah. It was a serious message to the whole thing. So I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And then as it ends, and he, you have this moment on stage where it's just Ren. And he's like, okay, I'm thinking. And then <laughs> Willard comes back and he goes, and another thing. And we get that instant reprise. And I thought it was really, really good. And, you know, we're feeling really optimistic, really like built up. And then in comes Ariel, who's got a black eye. And we learn that Chuck has assaulted her. Which I'm really glad we didn't have staged. I, you know, don't want to see that. But yeah, this is another thing. So this is the point at which things start to... Move very quickly. Move very quickly. And also they've cut tons from the film. Yeah. Because we see this in the film, but it is followed by Ariel smashing up Chuck's car. And he's like obsessed with his Jeep or his truck or whatever it is. Yeah. And she like smashes up all the windows and stuff. And so that he can't drive it anymore, basically. And then he's like, I'm done with you. And he leaves. And it's like, oh, she gets her revenge on him by destroying the truck. Yeah. Kind of thing. And we don't really get a payoff to the whole thing with Chuck. No. Like, this is it. He gives her a black eye. She's like, I don't want to see you anymore. And that's kind of it. It feels like everybody's talking about Jamie, like, where the bully kind of, like, you know, is all like, oh, I'm a homophobe, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, come into the dance with us. Yeah, you're fine. Don't worry. Like, we don't feel like we get much change or development. Yeah. Ariel reveals to Ren about her brother. Yep. And she gives him a Bible that she's marked so that it specifically talks about dancing. Oh, yeah. And she's is like, you know, you, the two can play at the religious game. And I was like, oh, okay, this is how they're going to win because he's going to use reference arguments against him and make him realise that, you know, he's in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. It doesn't play out that way. But I was like, there we go. This is really important. They're back at the train tracks. They're both screaming. I like the way the sets come together and they climb the ladder and it feels like they're at the top of like the the train tracks overlooking things. And they sing Almost Paradise, which is a cute little, again, romantic ballad. Mm-hmm. And this is where they realise they're in love. And it's really sweet. You know, it's, it's a nice little number. Yeah. And then we go basically to the ending. Like... We're there. Mm-hmm. Final sequence. We've got the town council meeting. And... So the whole we go through this whole town council thing. Ren brings up all of the points that he wanted to quote the Bible. Like she doesn't really dance do it as in the w- face of the Lord. That kind of thing. And I think the issue is, is because when he delivers the stuff in the Bible, he's clearly not read it beforehand. Yeah. So he's just reading things. So it looks like he's found the odd bit of research, but there's no passion in the way he's well, saying it. There's a great it. bit here where. 
Reverend Moore turns around yeah. and Ariel sat behind him and he looks at her because he recognizes that it's her Bible. Yes. I wish it had her name on it or something. Something like, on make that bigger because it was all, I noticed he was looking. I didn't think of it from the whole perspective of. He gave her that Bible. You what know? I saw it as, he was like, oh, I, I know your game. It's not going to change my mind because I know that you've done this. Yeah, no, it's supposed to be like, or I think I interpret it as like, oh, you've helped him with this. Like you have taught him this and you've actually connected with him religiously. That's really interesting. Yeah. Whereas like, it probably is more like, oh, this is your game. Yes. And obviously has no impact. The town council basically warns the teenagers, you know, about the whole way that they conduct themselves because this is an official meeting. Yeah. And Ren's mum basically says to him like, Hey, regardless of the outcome of this, I'm really proud of you, but the Reverend controls the whole town. He's like, yeah, they were always going to vote this way. They were never going to agree with you. Now, this is where I also have more of the issue with the multi-role casting of Ren's mother. Mm-hmm. Because we're supposed to have Because her... she's just been here disagreeing with yeah. the thing. She should have been there watching. She As wasn't the there. Mom. She was yeah. noticeably not there watching him. But then she comes out and she's like... You did such a good job. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. It shouldn't be. It should be a completely different one. Her role should be fleshed out. I don't know how within the confines of the time we have, but mm. her role should be more fleshed out and, or could be, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But this is it. The issue is here. She's not there. And then she's suddenly coming out being like, you gave it your all, but it wasn't you talking. Mm-hmm. And this is where we should have that moment where she realizes that by her, by allowing herself to lose her voice, he's lost his voice. Ren stays to talk to the Reverend yeah, he at did. his mother's advice. She's yeah. like, hey, you like that didn't work. You were in front of everybody. It was never going to work. Appeal to him man to man. Yeah. See what happens. Because this isn't you. The way you've gone about this isn't you. You weren't speaking from the heart. Speak with the passion that you could have. Mm-hmm. Don't try and beat him at his own game. Yes, which I like as like a twist kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then they have a conversation this is the point at which the endings between the original source material of the film yeah. and this stage show are completely different. Oh, really? Yeah. So okay. in both versions, they get voted no. Ren stays, talks to the Reverend. They talk it out. In the stage version, they talk it out and the Reverend then sings Heaven Help Me Reprise where he's like, oh my God, Ren's right. I haven't been a good father. I can't be a father to everyone in this town. And that's a sentiment from the film as well. But he does not repeal the law in the film. So the film ends. The film ends with it circling back round to the fact that everyone keeps saying we can have, we can't dance within the town. So they all go outside the town limits. There's one barn that is just over the town limits. So they throw this, the prom in this barn and it ends with uh, the reverend gets up on the Sunday because it's the Sunday night that the party's going to be. And he says in church, like, I hope you'll all pray for our young people who are going to do this tonight because we all know they're going to do it, but it's outside the town limits, so we can't do anything about it. And then they have the prom and the reverend and his wife go and they stand outside the whole time to make sure that no trouble happens. But then they are stood outside dancing. And that's the end of the film. They break the law. 
and they're hypocrites at the end. But they're outside of the town limits, so they're not breaking the law. Oh, I thought they were. Okay. Yeah. Well, I prefer this ending. I like how Me it too. Ends. I really but like. But I don't like that everyone keeps saying we can't dance within the town limits because I was like, yeah, I know you're about to have a party at the end outside of this. Yeah. And I forgot that the endings were different. I like this ending because I really like this moment where they talk like man to man. You know, that him saying, I'm sorry you lost your son. I really do understand how that feels because I've lost someone. Yeah, and, and they... he, he says, um, look, you're going to have heard so many people say that they know what it feels like. They don't. I know it doesn't mean anything when people say that because people have said it to me too, blah, blah, yeah. blah. They have their man to man chat. The Reverend has a little breakdown. But the Reverend also says says to Ren, it's your father's loss that he'll never know how wonderful a man you've turned out to be. Which is very nice of him. It is very nice, because I think at this point he realises there's a lot more to Ren than the stories, and obviously the town has given him a reputation he hasn't deserved. And it is Oh, a... the other thing that happens in the film is, so they have this chat, he leaves the church and across the street, some of the guys from the town are burning books in the library because they're like, you're right, we should protect the children. They can't be reading this filth. And it's like, you know, they bring up a book at the beginning of the yeah. show that he's not allowed to read. Sword yes. Of five. Yes. They're burning the books and the priest is like, oh my God, this has gone too far now. These people are great, uh, crazy and it's my fault. Yeah. So it feels even weirder that but like... he still doesn't repeal the rule because he's not in charge. He can't be in charge of repealing the rule. He's not in charge of anything. No, but it's a city council. Yeah, they which he is on. But there like... must not be like a mayor in this town or like an elected official. There's an elected state official, but yeah. like, yeah, makes no sense. It's crazy. Anyway, he's like. He gets up at the service, the reverend, and is like, they are going to have a dance. And there's a really nice moment as well the night before where him and Ariel talk and like, they kind of connect, connect yeah. which is nice. And yeah, the next service. Uh, Willard invites Rusty to the dance. She says, are you actually going to dance with me? He's like, yeah, of course. And I'll, I'll even, even get you a croissant. croissant. Which is one of my like, favourite. Oh my God, my very own croissant. I love the fact that she mocks him a little bit, being like a very much a I'm into you way. Yeah. It was a really sweet, I well, liked he, that. He has this line really early on where he's like, I don't, this girl drove me crazy, but she never shuts up. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't talk at all, so. It's a really nice moment and I enjoyed it a lot. And it was like, again, they've not been overused Mm-hmm. So, like, this is a nice payoff to their end. Yeah. Bai tells the reverend that she loves him. He apologises. We're yep. all happy. Yeah. They all go to the dance. Uh, except for Chuck, who shows up He's... to take revenge on Ren. But is, like, abandoned. Yeah, and the reverend's, like, go home. <laughs> Yeah. And that's pretty much it. And I really like the fact that Darren Day comes out in a nice, really, like, glitzy suit. Yeah, he's got, like, white, sparkly yeah. shoes. It's very cool. I like that he doesn't come out and have, like, a really elaborate dance moment in here. He's just there as a chaperone, and he does a little bit of the join, but not as flashy as everyone else's. Mm-hmm. We sing Footloose, the finale version, and then they do a whole bunch of encores, which was very cool. Yeah. I cannot remember what songs they were doing for the encore. They they had a bit of everyone's kind of key songs. So there was a bit of um, yeah. The girls did holding out for a hero. Yeah, heaven helps a of, man. A little bit of let's hear it for the boy. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was yeah, it was. I I enjoyed it a lot. I think musically it's fantastic. The choreography is is absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, that should be because it, this is a dance movie. So the choreography has to be good. Mm-hmm. And especially during, like, I Can't Stand Still and during the teaching Willard Hear It For The Boy. Yeah. Those numbers need to have really good choreography. But then you've also got some really just over-the-top fun with things like holding out for a hero and Mama Says. Yeah. As well as some nice, like, heart-based sequences. Like, I feel that the music and the choreography do come together really well on, like, several different levels. And the set design is great. The fact that you've got the actors coming out and playing their instruments Mm -hmm. is really, really fun. Does it serve much having them do that? No, I think it becomes more fun. It's like style over substance because there's no real reason for them to actually do it. What, the encores? No, the actors playing the instruments. Oh, no. it do- It's not integral to the plot. I've no. never seen a version where they did this before, but it's amazing. I really liked it. It was just one of those things that just made you feel like... And it's almost like they know that the plot isn't what people are going to enjoy about Footloose. Yeah. What it is, is is these really great costumes, set pieces, and and musical sequences. So they really, like, accentuate your positives mm-hmm. to hide some of the negatives or the shortcomings. And I think that they've certainly done that here. What is your best song? Let's hear it for the boy. I mean, for me, it's holding out for a hero, but that's not fair because I'm incredibly biased and I don't care. Yeah. I, I had just that moment where I recognised the do, 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 do. Yeah. I was just like in heaven from that point and like completely enthralled. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Um, I did like the end of Act 1 sequence, the, um, you know, I'm free, heaven help me. Yeah. Bit. That was fun. Um, I enjoyed Mama Says You Can't Back Down. Holding out for a hero was fantastic. What's your skip song? Um, I guess dancing's not dangerous. Da- yeah, dancing's not a crime. Yeah, be- I didn't like the rap. I felt like stylistically. But I am glad that they cut it down as much as it is. I probably wouldn't listen to any of the Reverend's songs, but that's mm. more just a stylistic thing. I thought Darren Day was fantastic with them. There was a real sense of vulnerability and heart to them. You know, and he, even like on any Sunday, there's a real gravitas to his performance. Mm-hmm. So uh, saying their skip songs isn't fair to that because I, I enjoyed listening to them. I, I, I did enjoy those moments on stage. But I think yeah, dancing is not a crime. just doesn't fit this. Yeah. Who do you want to play? <sighs> um... Honestly, probably the Reverend, because he wasn't like a one note villain like I thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think Darren Day did a really good job to kind of make me empathise with him. Like he's still in the wrong and I still can recognise that. But this doesn't come from a malicious place as it does to a confused and depressed place. Yeah. And that for me would be a really interesting role to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like Ren has a character. Yeah. You know, I don't feel like he's flashy and he's a great dancer. And I tell you what, he is a great dancer. He, uh, 
Josh Hawkins did such a good job leading this. Mm-hmm. Like he's just very likable and there's a natural charisma about him which like I can't stand still does a really good job at demonstrating. Yeah. But there isn't much to like Ren's character. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and you know, I could have fun with Willard, but you know, I think the character I, I would I would love to play would be Reverend Moore. He's who I would want to play. Yeah. How about you? Probably Ariel. Yeah. Yeah. I I it's tough for MVP because I think everyone plays their roles very well here. Yeah. I think I am going to say Lucy Munden's my MVP. Mm-hmm. I think this is an absolutely phenomenal like professional debut. And you can see that there's a lot of talent in her. The whole cast are incredibly talented. And you could argue that every single one of them, you know, Ben Mabberley, amazing as Willard. Mm-hmm. And a real charm to his performance. Una Cox was great as Rusty. I thought Chuck, so Tom Muscle, did a good job at playing Chuck, you know, this antagonist. And obviously comes out with the, the sax. Very, very talented. All, all the cast are really good, but I think Lucy Munden was just, like, you would not have known. If you if you don't go into the theatre and buy programmes, yeah. you wouldn't know that this is her professional debut. She, she, she comes across really seasoned already. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, definitely one to watch. How about you? Who's your MVP? I think Ben Mabley, like you say, like, he was so good as Willard. He just really did well with that character and obviously that's why he's the understudy because he's great and yeah i greatly enjoyed his performance don't get me wrong there's certainly sometimes that you can see we we did see school of rock for a second time at christmas mm-hmm. and the cast had been hit by covid quite heavily and it was still a fantastic performance but you could see where things were ironically a little bit loosey-goosey and they needed to be tightened up. With this here, you genuinely would not have known that he was the understudy. Mm. Yeah, I gave this one four stars overall. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I think it's it's the plot that ultimately let it down. But I had a great time. It was great to be back in the 80s for one night. Yeah, me too. So we've been to the 80s. And it's now time to go even further back in time. So we're going to go back to Tudor times. Yes, indeed. Uh, we are going to discuss a show that I'm very excited to see mm-hmm. in Six. Yeah, we're going to Hampton Court to see Six performed with the original West End Queens. I'm, I'm so excited and I can't wait to talk about this because this feels like a, a weird dream that I wanted to happen. I never thought could happen. Mm-hmm. We I... live quite close to Hampton Court. And one of the things that Danny has always said is that why haven't they ever done a performance of Six at Hampton Court? And now they are. So, of course, we're going. Yeah. <laughs> you manifested this interview. I did. Don't get me wrong. I've got a lot to say about Tony Award winning Six. Because mm-hmm. congratulations, Tony's were on in Six did very very well i've i've got some preconceived notions about six not all of them necessarily positive that we'll talk about Mm -hmm. but i'm so excited because this is one that a lot of kids love yes very similar to when we talked about hamilton there's a real buzz about this one Mm -hmm. 
that I think this certainly hits the next generation of musical theatre kids hard. Yeah, and even sure. like non-musical theatre kids are aware of this. Mm-hmm. So very excited to talk about six. Uh, and we've got obviously a few more exciting shows on the horizon. We will be talking about, I don't know how many times you talked about this, 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 this story now, but we will be going back to our Disney series as we discuss another Cinderella. Cinderella yeah. Uh, and we're going to be seeing My Fair Lady. Thanks to uh, Tony or at Theatre Flashback One on Twitter. We're going to be going to see My Fair Lady and we will talk about that before we too take maybe a week or two hiatus whilst I go to Paris and you don't. <laughs> Sorry. Yup. And then, you know, last week of, of term. Uh, I haven't read really what we're going to talk about there, but summer's starting. We have no high school musical, but maybe we need to return to a certain camp. Yes, indeed for the summer who knows but yes some very exciting stuff on the horizon make sure you are a part of that by clicking that subscribe button now however you're listening to us uh you can find us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms apple podcasts spotify google podcasts the amazon music app under the podcast section of the library on stitcher on good pods and our og hosts podbean if you like what we do, why not leave us a review and tell us what you love about the show on any of those good platforms or on podchaser.com. Mm-hmm. Get involved in the conversation over on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. Uh, let us know your thoughts on Six and if it's one that you're a big fan of or if it's one that you have some concerns over. And let us know your opinions on Footloose. Were you at the New Victoria Theatre Woking and do you agree with what we said? Or have you caught it on its UK tour or when it's toured America extensively? Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy Footloose? Does it improve on the movie? We always love hearing from you. Yes, indeed. But until next week where we will see you same bat place, same bat channel. Have a magical musical Monday.